You have your Bibles, and we're turning to Mark chapter 11. We're in the summer of miracles. Oh, by the way, Debbie's joining us by phone. I got up this morning, and she was wrapped in blankets, wearing a winter coat, and had the furnace turned up to what I thought was as high as it could go. She wasn't feeling well, and uh, so she didn't want to miss the service. So say hi to Debbie. <laughs> Did you hear that, hon? Okay, here we go. We're in the summer of miracles. It's been an encourage, so very encouraging to hear so many people tell their stories of the neat things that God has done, that God is doing in their lives and their situations that they've been praying for. I encourage you, if you haven't done it already, to write it out, to send it to me. We're wanting to plaster that wall so that when people come in, they not only see the miracles, but they're inspired to believe for miracles. My hope, my desire is that our summer experiment will turn into a fabulous super supernatural lifestyle, that, that we will believe and we'll work toward a constant expectation of, of believing for God's supernatural intervention in our everyday lives. That's why I want to go back to the launching pad verse that we used for this series this summer. They're the words of Jesus and they're important in, in living a lifestyle of believing and of looking for miracles um, you, you'll remember the context. Jesus is on his way into the city of Jerusalem to do some teaching. It's the last week before he is uh, crucified. And he stops and he goes to a, a leafy fig tree and he looks at it. He's looking for some figs and there are no figs and he curses the tree. He says, may you never ever produce, may, you never, uh, may no one ever eat of your fruit again. And the, and the disciples scratch their head and think, well, that's kind of unusual. That's, that's kind of weird. And, and they think nothing of it, and then they move on. Their way, one of them come back at night to where they're staying in Bethany, and, and the next day they get up, and on their way, one of them looks and says, hey, isn't that the tree that he spoke to? Look, it's dead from the roots up. It, it, it was live. It was leafy. Every leaf is dead. It's, it's tinder dry. It's dead from the roots up. And, and Jesus uses that opportunity, that observation to teach a lesson about the authority, about the power of God that he gives to us. So again, we read this familiar passage, Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you have received it, it will be yours. Jesus is straightforward in his instruction. Let your faith and trust be in God alone. If you speak with faith, no mountain, no obstacle, no difficulty, the power of your word will be carried out and that will be removed from your pathway. The keys are simple to remember, he says. Believe that it will happen. Do not doubt in your heart. If you pray for anything, if you believe that you have received it, before you've received it, it will be. It will be yours. Faith that expects. Declaration that takes on any and every obstacle that's in your way. Belief that drowns out all doubt. Prayer that makes room for God to do the miracles. If you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. That's what Jesus said. 
He, he's either speaking the truth or he's completely delusional. But we're here this morning. We're in the summer of miracles because we choose to believe that he is truth. He is truth. I love that paragraph. I read that paragraph, I would think, almost every week. I, I read it a lot. I pray it often. I declare it over and over again. But it's not the whole story. There's another sentence, a sentence that is quite often left out of the reading of this power-packed statement, but it's, it's of primary importance. It's a difficult instruction because it means that we will often have to have some difficult conversations on our way to a miracle. Mark chapter 11, verse 25, but when you pray, when you pray asking for the miracle, first... Forgive anyone you were holding a grudge against. Forgive them so that your Father in heaven will forgive you your sins too. When we're asking God for a miracle, when we're praying for a miracle, when we're in the process of faith and declaration while you're believing and making your quest known, before any of that happens, the very start of the whole process, even though it's at the end of the paragraph, is this, forgive anyone that you are holding a grudge against. I am a relationship person. I love people and people to me are always more important than tasks or events. Always. I'm, I'm thrilled for the task and the event people around me because we'd be in terrible trouble here this morning if, if it was only this relationship person that was running stuff. Nothing would get done. Nothing would be set. I, I, I love to do relationship, and I love what they do, but I love to do relationship and could talk about it all day long. I am also very aware of who it is that I'm speaking to today. I am aware of so many stories and so many difficult relationships that this congregation has going on. I'm speaking to people who have sisters who have stolen from them, brothers that have abandoned them, parents that have been violent, spouses that have been addicted. I'm speaking to women who've had a gun held to their head or a knife to their throat, men who have been ripped off by business partners, parents who have children who've screamed at you and called you every name in the book, people who've been abused by leaders and organizations. I am so very aware that relationship is hardly ever easy and that I'm walking through a minefield this morning. However, we need to have some very difficult conversations on our way to a miracle. Jesus seems to indicate that there's a caveat on receiving answers to our prayers. He says, if you forgive people, then God will forgive you your sins as well. The reverse is true also. If you've been sinned against and you refuse to forgive, then, then God is unable to release you from your sin. And that sin of yours gums up the machinery that brings forth miracles. 
The psalmist says, listen, who is it who can come into the presence, come to the hill of the Lord and make their requests made known? It's the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, the one who has been forgiven and is forgiving. If you're carrying sin, if you refuse to deal with your mess, the conversation between you and God is interfered with. And sometimes, if we, if we leave it long enough, it just gets plain stopped. If you forgive your offender, then God will remove any and all offense that stands between you and him, between me and him. Understanding this part of the statement is key to the conversation about miracles. I, I'm sure that it's only me, but, but I, I want to make a confession this morning. I hold everyone else to a higher standard of behavior and conduct than I like to be held to personally. I know I'm the only one in the room. But I have a cadre of people who, who don't let me get away with much. They, they bring it up and say, you have to deal with this. But, but I want people to ask for forgiveness. I don't want to be pushed by anyone to forgive. I want to do it in my own sweet time. And when the, the circumstances are right and when, when I see enough contrition and all of that, Jesus says, I'm pushing you, Bill. I'm pushing you before asking, before declaring, before believing and praying for a miracle, forgive. Before you ask, start to forgive. Always. Every time. It got quiet in here. I was raised that if you can't say amen, you could at least say a quiet ouch sort of thing when we get to stuff like this. Yeah, that's, that, that's allowable too. <clears throat> Bill, move on to another verse. I, I also want to pull this verse into important scriptural context. It's, it's not only about forgiving people that have sinned against me that has to happen. But Jesus in another spot teaches that I have to look down that road the other way as well. How have my actions... How have my words, my attitudes affected and wounded others? Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, someone has something against you, you're not forgiving them, but someone has something against you, then leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come back and offer your sacrifice to God. Not only people that have wronged me, but people that I have wronged. I, I, I'm told here, don't, don't bring the sacrifice until I've not only admitted that I've done wrong, but I've gone to the person and been re reconciled. I've been reconnected to them. When forgiveness and reconciliation have occurred, then continue with the sacrifice that you were originally coming to God with. God has you coming and going. Whether you've been offended or whether you've been offensive, look after it. The principle here is this. Don't wait for someone else to do something about relational trouble. Don't wait. Go first. You initiate. You swallow your pride. You do what needs to be done. Go first. Don't wait. 
Miracles are needed and sacrifices are waiting to be offered. And, and deal with the relationship stuff first. Have the difficult conversations between you and those who have been offensive or to whom you have offended. Have those difficult conversations so that you can get release for the miracle to take place. I want you to understand this. And, and you hear me say it so often, but but I hope you're getting it. Relationship is the priority of God and of his kingdom. He, he's all about relationship. It, it's primary. It's, it's essential. It's not optional. King David writes in Psalm 133, how truly wonderful and delightful to see brothers and sisters living together in sweet unity. For from the realm of sweet harmony, God will release his eternal blessing and the promise of life forevermore. When there's that, that unity, that cohesiveness, that connection it's in the unity, it's, it's through the connection that God's able to release blessing and life. Disunity, broken relation, damaged communication in families and in the house of God, among the family of God, stops the release. Always. Always. Knowing that, it's not hard to imagine why and how the enemy of God would attempt to shut down the release of blessing and of life by causing difficulty between people who were meant to be in harmony. How the enemy would strive to make sure that there, there was so much offense and as much offense as possible and that people would be careless in the way that they spoke and the way that they conduct their, their interactions with one another. How he would attempt to make people so hurt, so vulnerable, so afraid of relationship that they shut down, that they walk away from all relationship when they were created for relationship. Paul says that in the midst of conflict, we are to remember that we are not in a flesh and blood battle. We are not fighting human versus human. Remember this, he says in Ephesians chapter 6, your hand-to-hand -hand combat is not with human beings, but the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms, for they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Because of this, you must wear all the armor of God that he provides so you're protected as you confront the slanderer, the liar. For you are destined for all things and you will rise victoriously. There's an all-out attempt by the enemy of our soul to disrupt the relationship that God says is priority and a key to the way that power is released. We, we need to be aware of that. We need to constantly be reminding ourselves when we're irritated, when we're frustrated, when we're angry with the direction that a relationship is headed. I, I'm not fighting in hand-to-hand -hand combat with another human being. I am being targeted by authorities that are in rebellion to the God that I serve. My fight is not with you, dear friend. It is the one who's attempting to pull the strings, to dislodge the eligibility of promise and the relationship release of power and of life. The promise is that as I confront the slanderer, I am destined to be victorious. 
But I need to have some difficult conversations with hurting people in order to get that release. In order to restore connection and re release blessing and life. There, there are no shortcuts. There, there are no easy options. I don't know about you, but I dislike immensely difficult conversations. I've had a few this summer. I have a few more to go, and my stomach sits in knots. Another thing that I want you to understand is that when we experience difficulties in relationship, when we cause difficulty in relationship, those problems don't just disappear. They don't vanish. I hate shoveling snow, and so quite often on, on our front walk, I'll just wait for a Chinook. And if you wait long enough in this city, eventually you won't have to shovel. It'll just melt and go away. But relationship trouble and sin never goes away. It sticks around. There, there are people groups in the world that are at odds with other people groups, not because of what happened last week or what someone said last year or what happened to my dad or my granddad. There are things that happened generations, centuries ago, and it's not been dealt with, and it's still causing trouble because it sits on the table of offense, causing trouble, causing hurt, causing heartache, and nobody knows what to do, and so they just sit and stare angrily at each other. Remember the conflict that was caused by Cain and Abel way back in Genesis chapter 4. There was a jealousy and, uh, that Cain had for Abel because Abel did what was acceptable to God, and Cain did not do what was acceptable, and it was all about obedience. Abel obeyed, Cain didn't, and it bugged Cain all the time and, and, and drove him crazy, and so finally he killed Abel. Cain went away thinking that the problem had been dealt with, that it was over, and, and, and then God shows up and asks the irritating question, Cain, where's your brother? And Cain says, I don't know where he is. It's not my day to watch him. It's not my day to be in charge of his, his care. And God says, well, the truth is that you do know where he is. And I know where he is because his blood cries out to me from the ground. The very place you killed him. Problems in relationships don't go away. They don't disappear. The blood of the offense cries out even if you leave the scene of the crime, even if you attempt to avoid the problem relationship. I I'm sure that you've discovered this in your own home as we have. If, if there's a mess in the middle of the kitchen floor, you can pack up, you can go out for dinner, you can go visit some friends, you can stop for some ice cream on the way home, but the mess will be there and maybe even worse when you get home. The same is true with relationship issues. You need to have the difficult conversations. You need to go and deal with the mess, whether it was created by you or by others against you. You need to talk it through. You need to do what you know how and reconcile as quickly as possible. 
Now, I need you to know it doesn't always work, but, but you need to know that you did what you could. You did what you were required by God to do. You did all that you knew how to make it work. And when you've done what you can do, then the blessing is released for you. I want you to understand we were made for relationship. When, when God created you, when he created me, he placed into our very DNA the design that we are fashioned with, the, the need for relationship. It, it, it's not a good thing, God said, when he made, the, made us for us to be alone. We are not built to be alone, but we are built by God to be in relationship. One, one of the key signs that things aren't right and good and healthy in my world is when I lose the desire to be with people. When I want to sequester myself and, and not have anything to do with people, that's a sign that I lack health and that I lack vitality. When I recognize that in myself, my response should be to run to people that I trust and say, hey, something's wrong. I don't want to see any of you, and yet I'm here. I, I need your help. But seldom does it happen that way. Seldom do we do what would be healthy. Again, the plan is to break the unity to destroy the cohesion of connection so that blessing is withheld and not released. When someone who has been close to you has been relating to you as a friend without explanation suddenly disappears from your horizon, don't, doesn't return phone calls, starts to miss regular commitments, know this. No matter what they say, no matter what they tell you, they're in trouble and they need you more than they know because we were created for relationship. Does that make sense? In your world right now, there's someone that if you think about it, you haven't heard from them for a while. And why is that? God says you should be concerned about that. The mandate of God is that you rush to that relationship and have the difficult conversation required to recon, reconnect, reconcile that relationship. You, you, you see, relationship is not just what we do. It's who we are. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are relationship people. When Jesus explains the kingdom of God, when he talks about where we fit into the purpose of God, he uses word pictures that talk about relationship. He calls God our Father. We're to relate to him as Father. He, he speaks of us as God's children. He talks about this gathering here today as, as we being family. He says that we're an interdependent organism that needs one another, that we are the body of Christ, and the foot can't say to the eyes, you don't, I, we don't need you, and the arm can't say to the, to the heart, I divorce you because you think you're so much more than I am. We are in a committed relationship that was created and designed by God for the good of the world, and relationship is important, and there is no way we can do it and uh, there is no other way we can do it, and we can't opt out when it gets too hard. Relationship is who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. 
Again, it's awfully uncomfortably quiet here. I'm left to wonder, have you got any relationship problems here and I'm just preaching to the moon or, or there's some people that you're not wanting to deal with and Bill, you're messing in my backyard and if you don't get out, I'm going to get the gun. Like, if, if you're getting the drift of this message and you're thinking of someone specifically right now, I can tell you that in order to have the full release of life and power in this house, we need to have some difficult conversations to release miracles. Jesus said, before you start to pray for a miracle, if you have a grudge, go and make it right. I don't, have a lot of con- con- I don't have to have a lot of conversations with someone to know how healthy, how balanced their life is. I, I can stand back and-, and I can watch relationships that they're in and how they're going for them. Have they pulled away? Have they struggled with connection? Have they given the, the vibe that they know it all and have it all and don't need anything or anyone else? If-, if that's the case, I know that there's a problem. I know that they're not in a healthy place or space. No matter what they say, they're not functioning as they were created to function in relationship. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 says, And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Part of the call on your life and on my life is to build, to repair, to reconcile and enhance relationships. God has given you and has given me this task. Go out and reconcile people to Christ. Bring prodigals home. Introduce strangers to who Jesus is. Think of the most difficult and dangerous careers in the world and this task can move right to the front of the line. It's not an easy task and it's not usually accomplished in a flashy crusade with an impassioned altar call. It comes through relationship. A few weeks ago, I received an interesting email. A man that I had never met or even heard of told me that he had heard about me from a friend and and knew of the work that I was involved in here and it sounded like something that would help his congregation out a great deal and and would I be willing to travel all the way across the world to his, his community and come and help him build something great for God? I like to help where I can, but... I don't know this man. I didn't know anything about his church. I had never heard of the man who supposedly informed this pastor that I was a good person. So there was no relationship, and and so I had no desire to get involved. And so I, I wrote, and I said, I only do ministry out of relationship, and so I wouldn't be able to come... I I suspected that he thought that I pastored a bunch of millionaires and that I could just come to you and say, hey, listen, I've got a friend that I just met on the internet and he's needing some money, so let's take up a big offering and you'd send me over there and help him. And, and, And so no relationship made me suspect the motives. Were they pure? Were they healthy? If, if we think that we can march into a situation and lay down spiritual truth and make a compelling argument without relationship, then we have missed the point of our call. It's all about relationship. It's why for the most, almost an entire year, I've asked you to build relationship with your, your person, 
to love them, to connect with them, to serve them, to care about them, to communicate with them. Only then can God open doors of conversation that will lead to meaningful opportunities. It happens because of relationship. By this point in time, you you know that it's never easy, that it costs more than you thought it would, and that there are days that you wish you could move to a different hemisphere and hide in a very dark cave. But you still need relationship. I I, want to put a caveat on this. There are people in this room who have relationships with some very dangerous people. Some of them are mean. Some of them are violent. Some of them are manipulative. Some of them are destructive to anything and to anyone who falls in their path. I I would be causing unfair pain and suffering if I said, in a blanket sort of way, suck it up, buttercup, and go and reconcile with everything. That's the goal, but it is a process, and it's not an easy process. You can own your part of the issue. You can attempt to make it right, but it doesn't always work out on the first try. It sometimes doesn't work out for years, and occasionally it doesn't ever work out. There are people in my world that I've done everything that I know how to do, and I'm currently waiting further instructions from God, and I'm believing that they're marinating in my apology and in my prayer, being made tenderhearted so that we can be connected. I'm waiting on God to make a rational miracle, uh, make a relational miracle. But I'm constantly ready to go at His word. We're asked to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. We don't go into dangerous conversations motivated and fueled by emotion and guilt because we will often come out wounded and gun-shy. But we go in with the scriptural direction and we live in the helpful and live counsel of the Holy Spirit in an attempt to clean up Every mess that is made in relationships that we have. It means that we don't have the privilege of walking away from relationship. Getting ticked off. Cleansing our call list. And pretending we never knew the person. Think of this. While we were sinners, while we were rebels, while we were in our own destructive behavior, Christ loved us and walked toward us and gave himself for us. He led by example. He initiated. He came for us. I live constantly in relational chaos. I always have somebody, and usually a list of somebodies, who is unhappy with who I am, unhappy with what I do and how I do it, is angry at the office I hold. It can be pretty painful and difficult 
But the drive that I have for the release of the supernatural blessing and the flow of life in this place mandates that I go and I have difficult conversations. I need miracles for myself. I need miracles for my family. I need miracles for this house. And so I need to have those difficult conversations frequently. The conversations don't ever go according to plan, and often they don't go well. But I'm under the command of the one who said, forgive, get forgiveness, build, enhance, reconcile, that blessing might be released so that love will flow. Paul marks the communion table as a table of relationship in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And he comes to the Corinthians and he rebukes them and says, you're not doing this well, you're not doing it right. You're hurting more than you're helping. I want to read just a a bit of the rebuke that he gives them. He says, now on the next matter, I, I wish I could commend you, but I cannot. Because when you meet together as a church family, it's doing more harm than good. I've been told many times that when you meet as a congregation, divisions and cliques emerge. And to some degree and extent, this doesn't surprise me at all. Differences of opinion are unavoidable, yet they will reveal which ones among you truly have God's approval. When you all gather as one family, you're not really properly celebrating the Lord's Supper. For when it comes time to eat, some gobble down their food before anything is given to others and one is left hungry while others become drunk. Don't you all have homes where you can eat and drink? Don't you realize that you're showing a superior attitude by humiliating those who have nothing? Are, there, are you trying to show contempt for God's beloved church? How should I address this appropriately? If, if you're looking for m- approval, you won't find it. David, will you come? There came out of this discussion, and it's talked about in Jude, there came out of this discussion a thing that wasn't called communion, but it was called the agape feast or the love feast. And it was built around being relational. They used a loaf of bread as a symbol for not only the body of Christ, the physical body where he said, this is my body which is broken for you. But he also speaks of the body of Christ being you and I making up and he being the head. And so they took bread and they broke it up in in pieces and they, they started to give each member in the church a hunk of bread. There would be some worship. There would be some prayer. There would be a point of time where people would just wait for God and for the Holy Spirit to speak to them. And then they'd get up and they'd go and they would share a piece of their bread with someone and they would give a piece of my bread to you and we would pray together and if there was some problem between us that would facilitate me saying Marlis forgive me 
<laughs> I wish everybody looked at me like you looked at me. And there would be tears. There would be brokenness. And, and it happened on a, on a regular basis so that, so that people didn't let accounts grow long. Didn't let bitterness take root. Didn't allow offense any room in their life. But kept it close kept eyes on one another, made the statement, you mean something to me. I need you. The love feast went on. And it was just, it was just one of the unifying things that happened. I knew nothing about the love feast until the 1970s and the Jesus People Movement, the hub in Calgary was Emmanuel Church down on First Avenue and First Street and 17th Avenue. I'd go to my own church to the youth program there. I'd hang out for as long as there were people there, and then I'd quietly, silently, disobediently, because my parents didn't want me to go there, but I went there anyway. I'd park my car far away so that anybody who passed and saw my car wouldn't be able to say, hey, Emmanuel and Della, I, I, I saw Bill's car at Emmanuel. What was he doing there? And I would go up and I would stand in the back of the, the balcony and I would watch God moving and tears would be flowing down my face. And, and, and one of the things that they did on a frequent basis was they would have a breaking of bread service and agape service. And I remember one Friday night, a young girl in a, in a wheelchair. And I watched her wheel up to somebody and I don't know what the problem was. I don't know what, it was complex. It was difficult, obviously. There was some harsh words being spoken and it went back and forth. But I do know that before I left, almost before 12 o'clock at night, that girl got out of her wheelchair. She got it right. She got in unity and she got her miracle. Relationship is everything. Will you stand with me this morning? As I've been speaking, Holy Spirit has been bringing a face or faces to you. People that are in your world that you need to reconnect with. And some of them aren't easy assignments. Some of them are dangerous people. I, I, get, a, I get a kick out of people who say, well, you know, the church is just an easy place for you to hang out with. You need to know that on my prayer list, there are a group of women that I call the gun and knife club. They're women who've held, had a gun held to their head or a knife held to their throat and their life has been threatened. I don't live in Disneyland and neither do you. 
that God has put a mandate on our life. He says, if there's going to be a release of miracle, if there's going to be the, the flow of life, then we have to get this relational thing right. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So I want you to close yourself in with God just for a second. I want you to start praying for his divine strategy. There are family members. There are long-standing difficulties. There are people that you've offended, people who have offended you, but you have a mandate on your life to go first, to dive in head first and try to make it right. We've been called by God to reconcile people to God. start calling out right now. There's sons, there's daughters, there's, there's husbands, there's wives, there's mother-in-laws, there's father-in-laws, there's parents, there's, there's work, accompli- work complications. There's some people that are standing here today and they're saying to me, Pastor Bill, you don't know, it's dangerous for me to do this. And I'm reading to you from the Word of God a promise that's as real as it real could be. And it says those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is your refuge, your place of safety. He is your God and you can trust Him. For he will rescue you from every trap. He will protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of night or the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand shall fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. In the name of Jesus the small morning, I pray protection over my people. God, you've given us the most difficult of tasks to be in connection and relationship with people. And and God, you know that everything that we go through, you've already been through. You know what it's like. And so you're, you're not just torturing us. You're asking us to make God's love real to a hurting world and to people that are hurting. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, you who are called the teacher of God, that you would teach us how to walk in honesty, walk in forgiveness, walk in humility and submission, walk in a sensitivity to what our words are doing in the worlds of those that we're walking through. I'm praying the favor of God on everyone in this room, that God, as they have to make things right or or approach someone who's been offended or who has been offensive, that God, you would teach them, you would show them, that you would open doors, that you you would show them your directions and your healing. Father, do it because we desire, we long for the release of miracles and the flow of life in this house.